as a colleague, and then we became friends eventually, okay. very good friends. Oleg, um, uh, what would you say? Yeah, I, I would add, I mean, I've been actually very lucky in that regard. I'm still friends with all my previous co-founders. It's kind of like staying friends with your ex. You know, <laughs> if it works, it's great. And you're proud that you can make it work. But it's always like a fine line. And there's always difficulties. Like, um, I think the fact that we all behaved, you know, relatively straightforwardly, and honestly with each other, I think that's the main thing. It, things get ugly when there is kind of misaligned understandings and expectations, and then people try to change things retrospectively, and that's when things start to get ugly usually. But luckily, we avoided all of that. I mean, I there is one very, very simple rule that it's very, very basic, but everyone forgets. It's about just being transparent and honest and just express mm. your feelings, good or bad, in a very rational way, objective way. And I think, you know, by talking, you can solve any, any, any uh, issue. I like that. So I'd like to maybe spend some time on life prior to, to CoinRule. Um, and I'll start with you, Oleg. So you mentioned before, a banker at City. Um, so I don't quite know how the, the, the banking um, hierarchy goes. However, I do know that going from analyst to assistant VP in like two or three years seems very, 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 very quick and to be placed on the top category of all analysts. So I'm very curious, how did you manage to, to do that? What separated you from all those analysts and what allowed you to be promoted so, so rapidly? That, that's an interesting question that brings me back to, to kind of the earlier days of my career. Um, it was a funny story because I joined banking and actually I had studied politics, international relations. Mm -hmm. So my background totally wasn't in finance we actually did before we joined the analyst program we did like a placement test mm -hmm. i finished out of 81 people i finished the 79th at the bottom because wow. of course i had never studied <laughs> finance i had absolutely not the slightest clue of a lot mm. of those things but the reality is that uh actual work in a bank has very little to do with what you are learning in mm. you know in a finance degree um, I had a lot of interest for uh, everything going on in the economy. I had a lot of interest for everything going on in the world in general. Um, I had a very analytical mind. I quickly figured out uh, like model, financial models, some basics of accounting and reading financial statements. So all that worked. But then uh, what really helped me to kind of, let's say, do very well uh, was that I was very good in kind of navigating the place like like I knew when to put in the extra mile I knew like kind of how to you know let's say make friends etc mm -hmm. I was a pretty like smooth operator in, mm -hmm. in 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 that role and um I actually ended so as you said I ended up in my first year being ranked in the top group of analysts which uh, for me I found pretty uh, pretty spectacular sure. because I literally like for the first six months of me doing my job I had very little clue of what I was doing. <laughs> but the main thing, what I was trying to convey to people later is all of it is not rocket. It's really not rocket science. It's more kind of a combination of how much you go, you're willing to go the extra mile, how detail oriented you are and how smooth you are in actually fitting in into this weird uh, tribe that is a uh, bank hierarchy. Then in the final step, the way I moved from analyst to AVP mm -hmm. uh, was that I actually changed teams. So I was in the corporate bank 
And I then joined, uh, I became like a form of chief of staff to Citi's global head of public sector risk. So he was one of the most senior people in the bank. So very, very, very senior guy. He had been in the bank over 40 years. We were a team of three people supporting him, uh, supporting him in managing this global portfolio. And of course, he had a lot of power in, you know, pushing promotions, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, like he was a very interesting uh, person. I really enjoyed actually working with him, obviously like a ton of experience. And that's what kind of helped me to, to, to get to that role, uh, you know, relatively quickly. Okay. And Gabrielle, so from being in, in UX to, to product, and spending quite a lot of your time in product. I have to ask you, what about product has fascinated you so much? Uh, that's a good question, actually. One, one thing I want to say also about Oleg, uh, the funny thing is that Oleg, whenever he, we have an office, he, make, he make, becomes friends with all the bodyguards of the office, like all the guards and yeah. all the people in the lobby, because you think that these are like very important people in emergency time. <laughs> and, actually, and actually, it's true, because then we find ourselves in a situation at, uh, with the primal base, that was this beautiful office in Margate on the 32nd floor, top of top of top of uh, level 39, top of office, beautiful, all with crypto companies. And at some point, actually, this company, Primal Base, went bankrupt. Mm -hmm. So we <laughs> we go to work. There was a kind of Mary Lynch a crisis scenario. People walking out with the boxes. And uh, since uh, you know, Oleg knew actually the guard, we were able to actually get something back from our office. It was a very interesting scenario. It happened actually this year was uh wow. well this year was kind of crazy for us yeah. and uh, <laughs> so thanks yeah Alex has a lot of good tips for networking it's very good to it I, I call him the human CRM because <laughs> he knows everyone and he remembers the names of everyone so it's very good idea um and uh, coming back to product so uh yeah uh, I mean the, that's a funny question everyone asked me I actually uh, at university I did design and computer science I always mm -hmm. wanted to be someone creating new digital propositions I went to study at Media Lab in Helsinki in Finland, and also uh, at MIT, I worked in a research lab doing that. So actually, I, I've studied that at any level in terms of academia. And then I, I moved. My first job was actually I built a trading platform in UBS. It's called UBS Neo. It was supposed to compete with Bloomberg. I think now it's the third biggest platform in the world in terms of trading um, derivatives. And so, yeah, that, 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 since then, I always worked for banks, for innovation labs, uh, trying to make uh, life more easier for consumers. Having a design background uh, in every terms, I started from architecture. I went to actually typography, interior design, product design, a UI user interface. I really uh, understand how to shape the reality uh, from user needs, what mm -hmm. people want to actually something that is usable, actionable. So that's always been the case. And, and in London, uh, I always consulted with a lot of banks uh, and also with agencies. Um, and at some point, I just said this is a bug of startup. So actually, this is my third startup. It was not my fee. It was already generating some revenues, but I didn't like it. It was in the fashion uh, business. The second one uh, failed because the team was not the right one. You know, we had some uh, disagreement with CTO again, and you know, there were a lot of hurdles. But he had like a lot of uh, kind of brand equities. So actually, the startup was victim of too much, uh, too much brand awareness around. Mm -hmm. But that's good because we got invited to a lot of events, and uh, people always thought that we were much bigger than what we were. Uh, and thanks to that, you know, I got to meet, to, to meet uh, Mark Carney or Philip Hammond and a lot of very good people that then you know, helped us also um, in terms of understanding the, the landscape 
Uh, in fact, you know, with my previous company, I was part of the FCA sandbox, and that's what also we plan to uh, to do with the Conru. Um, so yeah, it was it was a very interesting pattern. So I started from design, I went to computer science uh, to work for banks to the search TMIT, and then I came back to to the UK because I felt I mess I was missing Europe. Uh, you know, the cultural uh, kind mm-hmm. of. Uh, the cultural level that we have in Europe, the narrative here is much more, uh, I think, democratic and, and leveled. You know, in the US, you know, if you have good income, um, you really feel like in a bubble. Mm-hmm. And, and it's an amazing life. But, you know, when you start thinking that you live in a country that has a specific aspect, like, you know, a belligerent country or with uh, no, no welfare, then you start understanding that all the lady Europe uh, and the UK is actually has a lot of value in terms of work culture, in terms of also society, and also what's, what's your role in, 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 that, in that context. Um, so that's why I came back. And, uh, yeah, and... Um, so I would say, like, as a, to build a startup, if you also are able to um, to consult or to have a contract job that you can land on every time you have a moment of crisis in the startup, then it's very, very valuable. So if you have a specialization, if you are a developer, designer, a business analyst, whatever you are, and you can go back and forth from startup to contracting, that's a mine gold. A gold mine, really, because uh, you know you're in startups. Some moments when you are between fundraises, so you need that extra few thousand pounds, or maybe you want to employ the next uh, developer. You know that fund you found it's perfect, and still you're waiting for the last check from the investors. So that's very very important. So we're in a very interesting space where there's been a nice transition from like very sales driven approach to startup growth to right now product being king um product and user interface and things of that nature and i've noticed it too from some platforms like for example um dropbox are so seamless even like you know shameless plug in seed legals i've I've used it before prior to my employment with the company so seamless to use that you know it really just blows apart the competition Um, and we're seeing like many companies like scale based upon the product um, how in-depth the founding team have thought about that new user and also old user experience. So I'm very curious from, it doesn't necessarily be, you need to be in-depth, maybe a high-level overview from this, have an idea of, of CoinRule to the whole process of mapping out what that user journey, what that new customer journey looks like. What are the, the things that which you're looking at as key elements to make that onboarding process as smooth as possible? That's a very good question. Oleg, do you want to answer to this? Um, I can I can start and then I'll pass on to Gabriele because, of course, he also has a lot of uh, experience in that. I mean, one, let's say, uh, starting point for us has been to identify the user need. I mean, everything that we do as a company, and I think this is kind of, it's been a growing trend, let's say, in in tech, product, uh, any type of uh, startup environment to really zoom in on understanding what is the user problem, what is the user need, and then build small experiments with which you can validate if your proposed solution is going to actually address that need. Um, so that's, that's, that's the first thing, and this is something that we are doing very religiously at uh, CoinRu. Um, we interview every day, we interview users, we collect feedback, we identify the journeys and the funnels on which the users travel through the application and then uh, try to really come up with ways to, to address that. Now, I mean, o- of course, you know, this is the, the ideal case in 
practice, especially your small team, everyone is, uh, you know, uh, under pressure, etc. So sometimes you have to be quicker than, let's say, a big company with hundreds mm-hmm. of people who can really run like uh, pro- proper, has proper teams just working on, on these type of things. So as a startup, you sometimes have to, to improvise these things. Now, with us, we are also, we're a very, let's say, design-driven company. Um, we don't just release things. We actually think through from A to Z how something works, how it looks, how the user interacts with it. Uh, does it make sense for the user? And only then do we build it. Uh, Gabriel, do you want to, to add to that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the, so basically, I'm the, the watchdog on, on this user <laughs> experience and design. So when it comes to the to reviewing the front end and design, and uh, if that matches with, with actually the user research that we did, that's uh, everyone hates me in the company when I do that. <laughs> but it's, it's very important because we have a mix of we have several uh, funnels where we gather quantitative and qualitative data. So as Oli was saying, every day we do on average one hour interview with our users, so we talk to them. And we systematically uh, categorize the feedback and we put them in specific category with user needs that get solutionized in a big dashboard and then get actually uh, wireframed the design and then implement. So it's a very long process that we do in kind of cycles. Every, every two months, we do one cycle of two weeks of user research. And that's very important. And then we have a lot of quantitative data coming from the surveys, from the newsletters, from, from other sources as well. So we have all these uh, incoming data that we need to make sense of. Now, when usually when when people start like uh, like a project or website and stuff, they are shy, right? They are super shy. They don't want to mm-hmm. talk. Most of the people, they, especially the marketing and sales people, the one that should go out and talk to the customer, <laughs> do focus group, do card sorting, use all sorts of techniques that you can use in user research. They actually don't do that. They just think like, oh, I just go there and and sell the product. But actually, selling the product, what what it means? It means just understanding what the person uh, he, who he is what's their needs, and, and then saying, like, look, if you want, there is a solution for your problem. So that's very, um, it's like treating your customer with respect because they have a brain. They don't want to just get pushed on them, especially in the new version of marketing where mm-hmm. it's more indirect, more reactive than proactive. So so doing that, uh, I see that a lot of uh, people, especially the one that come from a typical corporate uh, background or nine-to-five job, they're just shy. They're not like, uh, they don't they don't cut through the crap. They just... They just sit there and they they just build something based based on assumption. It's good to have an assumption to start with, but then you need to validate or invalidate that assumption. Okay, so the idea that everyone has that Steve Jobs was a visionary that's that's false. It's not true. He had the first the first vision. He had few vision, but then there were like tons of people validating or invalidating that mm-hmm. vision. And some and that's also why some products fail probably because maybe he was just stopped when he wanted to push for it, and then the market was not there. So, the, the, you know, the idea that someone is, is cool and he actually is, has telepathic, uh, you know, powers that can read the mind doesn't really exist. It's, it's a mix of quantitative and qualitative data that you need to gather and, and, and understand that data becomes information, that information then makes sense and become a, a shape that can be uh, showed to a, a human being that then can take action on, on that piece and potentially see the value in his life and potentially is happy to, to, to exchange that value with a monetary value, a financial value, and actually pay you. And as a result of that, the company has revenues that to pay uh, the employees that see the value of that money to actually generate other values. So it's a chain. And if you don't capture a, a piece of the chain, uh, and you just think that you are just with a data point, you can you can make money. It doesn't mm-hmm. work like that. You need to capture a part of that journey 
uh, in generating value and translate the journey into some 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 money. So on the topic of people maybe from traditional backgrounds being necessarily scared to speak to customers and maybe even go as far as say acquiring your users, how did you two acquire? So typically I'm guessing that the business model is most is is based upon a free trial for X amount of time, um, with then the ability to upgrade and have certain features locked behind the paywall. That process to get maybe the first 50 or 100 so free users, how did you manage to, to, to get those into the platform? And then sex, second, the process to convert from, from, from free to ultimately revenue generating. How is that final stage? I think the, the first part of the, 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 the funnel before we build a proprietary technology that I will explain you later. Um, so what, uh, I think Ole can reply to that because he did a lot of work with our community. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, to reach, let's say, the first 100 customers was just a question of being part of the right communities. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, we know uh, the crypto market, we know the kind of blockchain communities. So it was really a question of sharing, asking for feedback, uh, doing interviews with those users, getting them uh, on board. Um, And we only started really charging users a few months ago. Uh, So that's been a question of, as you said, basically limiting access to some of the features and ultimately upselling uh, based on the user signing up for the free plan with the features that solve that user. Yeah, I mean, I mean, our uh, our strategy for upselling is really for me, it's like teasing, like uh, like really teasing the users, like kind of giving them a little bit of product, taking it off when they actually need it and see how is the reaction in terms of conversion. Or like you know, you have like some 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 part of the feature that you can use, but then actually when you click on it, you have a paywall in front of it. So there are a lot of uh, elements to uh, to upsell. But again, this comes when you talk to the user and understand what's your valuable for you. If they say for us it's more uh, valuable to trade uh, this specific coin, then we make that feature a little bit limited so that we can upsell. Because then there is also an upsell that we do across the three plans that we have. And that's kind of an extra, an extra layers. But then after this first um, 100 users that really got, it was like basically us being nice to, to other people and try to get them uh, to speak to us. And we, we started the first community. Then we started looking into growth marketing. That is a very nice word, very nice label. Uh, what it means, you need to basically find a way to fuck the system in order mm-hmm. to get some users on board. And what we did, we actually, uh, we checked a lot of different uh, techniques. We found this one that for us works very well. It's based on SEO. Uh, it's, a, it's a property technology that we build that generates original content on daily basis and mm-hmm. uh, in seven different languages. And it generates thousands of thousands of landing pages that in a way that we build ca- capture a lot of keywords. Um, so basically for some keywords now we rank first position on the first page of Google. Uh, and that's actually very good because then we get now a lot of traffic through these landing pages that are very long-tailed and, and all this traffic, it's for free, basically. So the only cost for us is to generate landing pages with internal resources. So it's actually a good technology that already three agencies, marketing agencies, asked us to, to, to sell to them as a service. Um, I mean, we are not doing that. We are just focused on, on our product. Mm-hmm. But that could be also like a byproduct that in the future could become itself like a service. Okay, guys, one final question for me. So let's imagine we're speaking to a 21, maybe a 20, 22, maybe 20 to 23-year-old version of ourselves. What advice would we give to a 22, 23-year-old version of ourselves who's currently experiencing lockdown? Uh, maybe they have a business idea. Maybe they just have an idea. 
uh, maybe they just have a burning passion and desire to make something of, of their life. What things have you learned in your maybe personal, um, professional careers advice that you wish you knew when you, when you were younger? Uh, I, yeah, I can go on that first. Um, so my, my first piece of advice, with it, like when I was 23, I was just starting my MPhil International Relations degree at Oxford, and I was very academic. I was ambitious, but honestly, I didn't really have a clue of how to get, how A, how I was defining those ambitions and how to get there. Um, I would say that if I could go back or if I could give advice to myself back then, I would say, uh, learn coding, let's say Python, great coding language. It would have helped me with a lot of things in the last 10 years. Uh, and I definitely would recommend that to anyone who's now 23 to pick it up because it will open you so many doors, whether you want to build something yourself or you want to work somewhere, etc. It's just a very good way to future-proof yourself. And the other thing would have been to... Like uh, in the last 10 years, I've picked up a lot of mentors, both actual as well as through books. Um, I wish there are a lot of books. I would have discovered them earlier. I wish I had discovered, you know, things like even uh, we were talking about how to interview users, books like The Mom Test from, I think, Rob Fitzpatrick, books from uh, Tim Ferriss, uh, a lot of other things. Also Stoicism as like a operating system for the mind. I wish I had discovered some of these things much earlier. So I would totally be there recommending to any 23-year-old to just kind of be more intellectually curious, look into more of these directions and pick up those type of mentors, both uh, real as well as in form of books, podcasts, etc. So learn, 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 and then experiment. And uh, for me, I, I would say, I mean, I've always been very sales-oriented since I'm like five or six, basically. Uh, Ten years old, I was already selling uh, used motherboards. But I would say when I, uh, I was 21, maybe I would have gotten myself a generic uh, like sales job, like, I don't know, real estate or like selling door-to-door -door on a side of my university activity. That would have been very, very beneficial, just starting on the cold calling, knocking at doors, and understand like people from uh, from from a sales process point of view, and um, yeah, maybe I would have said like go and, go in Silicon Valley uh, directly. So spend a few months there, uh, maybe in the summer, and uh, maybe study a little bit more finance back then. Yeah, because I did enjoy it. I did enjoy the business side of things and finance. But everyone arrives to you know a point in life to different routes, and I think for me arriving from an artistic background was the right route for me to make make um, me interested in, in, in these things. I approach life in a very artistic way, so otherwise I get bored very easily, and that's my, one of my weaknesses. Uh, now I learned that to be more disciplined, but it took time to arrive there. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for your time. Do you have any leaving remarks? Uh, you guys are amazing. I really like the Ligas, actually, because it's uh -huh. simple and it really solves uh -huh. a lot of our problems. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks so much, AJ, for inviting us. I, I really liked your questions. I think this was uh, very interesting also even for, for myself to just kind of think through some of the journey I've been on. Yeah, yeah, so thank I've, you very much. I found this lockdown time to be a great time to just reflect, uh, reflect on like journeys we've been on in the past and maybe spend some time planning and mapping out journeys we would like to be on in the future. And I think, you know, during this time, you know, it's quite a somber time with many people unfortunately losing their lives, but we will see uh, an increase in businesses and 
going forwards, there's always light at the end of the tunnel and we're going to see the way by which we interact with the world, maybe even from a, from a working point of view, maybe a bit more remote working, fundamentally change post-coronavirus. So I'm excited, excited for that. Wow. Thank you for taking some time to listen to all of that. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Feedback makes the world go round. So what I'd like for you to do is please give us a follow on Instagram, bedroom number 2B. That's our socials. Please give me some feedback as to how we can improve. Alternatively, message me on LinkedIn. So AJ, surname is Alpha Lima, Alpha Oscar. Feedback makes the world go round. So I'm eagerly anticipating how we can make the next few episodes much better. Again, thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.